Welcome back to the DHF podcast. DHF encourages and equips Christian leaders and churches to fill Christ's mission. You can find out more at discipleheritage.org. Join me as we kind of continue a part two of part one. Join a conversation in progress that we're going to continue from last episode where we're talking about guarding your heart. Last episode, we talked about mentorship as a way to guard your heart, but now we're going to look into things like the Billy Graham rule. So now that you know where we were, you can join me, Sam Sears, a board member at DHF and a pastor and Scott, a pastor in La Palita and a board member at DHF and our church liaison, Rick Grace, as the discussion continues. What brought us here today was a pastor and, and, and even in connection with um, a lot of others that had a sexual falling. And mm-hmm. so if we want to prevent that, you know, we've talked about guarding our heart. What are some more practical steps that we need to be putting in place? I'd love to know, besides just keeping up with our daily walk, you know, lots of places have an open door policy, open window policy. What are those or why's? One of the things I've observed in, in some of the pastors, at least in the American culture, that have had a more celebrated, and I use that word kind of tongue-in-cheek, a, a more visible fall, um, they had gotten bigger than the gospel. Mm. Okay, the, 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 the personal branding had replaced the gospel. There was a sense of... And my my generation used to say, "Don't read your own press releases." I, yeah, I don't know if that communicates to the next generation or not. But somehow, we need to keep ourselves rooted in humility and rooted in reality. Um, you know, if if I don't recognize that I'm only one decision away from being the next Matt Chandler or I'm being the next Mark Driscoll or whatever. If I, if I don't realize I'm one decision away, if I, if I don't recognize that that can, and if it weren't for the grace of God, maybe would have been me, then I think I'm in trouble. If, if, I, don't, if I don't recognize my own potentiality to fall, then I think I'm in trouble. Does that, does that make sense, guys? Oh, yeah. I was the one quoting uh, King James style verses before we started. So pride goeth before the fall. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> standard. And yet you're right. I almost wonder if why well, would like practical steps to know where the policies are on some of these things. A lot of that stuff feels downstream from the real issue. I feel like that's that's some treatment of symptoms when the the real hardcore issue is people being in denial of how fallen they are and how much they need Jesus every day and how it can happen to them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's that quote from Alex, uh, Alexander Solenstein. Um, The line separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. And it's way easier to draw that line between me and another person. And they need those rules and those policies. I was listening to someone that had worked in the DOJ uh, in the previous administrations and for the person that was in charge at the same time. And they said, listen, as soon as you're tempted to say this policy is too cumbersome for this moment, 
you have to realize this policy exists precisely for this moment. <laughs> That's why it's there. There's this push for churches to be able to respond nimbly and, and fastly and be very flexible. And I appreciate kind of centralize a little bit more leadership than past more committee or whole church-wide structure. And our church polity is something that everybody's going to agree on. But sometimes I think in the, in, the, in the effort to make things more centralized, just so they can be more flexible, we remove too much accountability. And so mm-hmm. we have overcorrected in some areas where the pastor has to answer everybody who maybe aren't qualified to places where the pastor's not answering to a plurality of elders, where there's some actual like, hey, what are you doing? Why'd you say that? Why? Absolutely. Well, to go kind of riff off of that and what Rick was saying before, I think the problem is we have at different times in the past, people have talked about the patterns where the church reworks into the pattern of the world, whether it's the church moving from community to philosophy to institution. And then nowadays it feels business-like or even it, it feeds into how people consume social media. And so pastors gauge their value and success off of influence. And to get the gospel out there, the rationale is we have to grow our influence. And unfortunately, we then lose the texture and the close to the ground living in our own communities for trying to reach out there and extend beyond our cities. We miss the ministry, the pasture that God's given us in our own backyards to mm-hmm. our neighbors, um, other church members in town, those that don't believe in Jesus. When we walk that pasture, that's a good, helpful, humbling reminder to the call that God's put on our heart. And it sometimes I think just walking around town prevents a person from thinking they're too big for their own ministry. And so they're trying to get their name out there for something bigger. And that's not at all what God's calling us to. Two things. One, there's a a far shorter distance that I think we realize from trying to throw the ball to where the congregation or the new person in the door can catch it versus watering down the message to the point where you're not adding depth. And we, we got to always be aware of that tension where we want them to catch it. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't want to just give a college lecture to babes, but we don't want them to stay babes if they are babes. But then also just the way that we live in the world now is very technology driven and not community driven. And that's a big part of the problem. Mm. And we, we see all this stuff on the screens and it's not real relationships. It changes our perceptions. Uh, I, I, even here, I'm sure as pastors, you guys have dealt with that where even young men are experiencing serious relationship problems because of their pornography addictions. Mm. Um, and, and I think, I know I'm, you know, that's the physical side of things, but even emotionally, I think people think relationships work like in a sitcom because they watch TV or something like that, rather than how they actually work. They don't have a realistic expectation of not just sex, but also just plain old 
human interaction anymore. I would say it's not any different than ages before. Its manifestation is different. And with social media, online activity, it's funny to watch political parties feed to the extreme bases that they interact with online um, and thinking they're winning because someone's cheering from the fringes. We can do the same thing in ministry. We can get three amens online and think we're on fire and not hit anything in the pew when it comes to landing the gospel and teaching people about Jesus and walking with Jesus with them, which is simply what we're called to. You know, one of the things, Scott, that that that, that triggered, and, and Sam, I we can go on ad infinitum. I don't know if you got an eye on the clock on this one or not, but well, I should have, uh, but no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> when when I was on the uh, the board of examiners for marriage and family therapy and and professional counseling in the state of Arkansas, we used to call this unsocial media rather than social media. Mm-hmm. Okay, people thought they were connected because they had six thousand Facebook friends but they had lost the ability to have a five minute conversation because they're so used to 280 characters on, on a tweet. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I would disagree slightly that it's not different than it was in previous generations. Mm-hmm. I think it is a little bit different. We have so minimized conversation mm-hmm. and because we have there, there's a void in us and that void unfortunately gets met in the artificiality of how we think we're communicating, mm. yeah. whether it's in a social media post, whether it's in an Instagram post, whether it's in a DM. And all of a sudden, then we're back to the Matt Chandler story where my wife's sitting right here next to me, but I'm direct messaging somebody else. Um, we have lost some of our communicative ability, mm. which to me flies in the face of the word who became flesh. Mm to dwell among us mm. full of grace yeah. and truth. Okay. I'm preaching. I'll get off. No, that's good. I would say if we could link in, uh, Sam, I can shoot you the article. Um, there's a Atlantic article that was put out four months ago by Jonathan Haidt called why the last 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. And <laughs> it does a great reading on kind of where we are culturally and the influences to that. And I, he's not a believer, but I really appreciate some of his conclusions and how we can repair some of this. I always like concrete conclusions. And one of the surprising ones he mentions, and he's a big proponent for, is unsupervised play with children. Kids are getting helicoptered, they're overscheduled, and they don't learn social dynamics. They don't have arguments with their friends, and they don't have to sort anything out. And so... They grow up into being adults out of the same way. And then you mask them for two years in an unlearning environment. And, and I, I look at my grandkids who have lost two years, not just of education, they lost two years of relatability mm. that they will never get back. Mm. And, it, you know, that's, it, it, it's sad when, when, when you look at the toll uh, that some of that has taken. But Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, I, we could go on forever. <laughs> I, I have so many I was going to say, I'm Sam, do you want to technically wind this down for us? You, Scott, you, you talked about uh, initially 
some, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you get at uh, some conversations that we've had before that there was no golden age where everything was okay. Right. Uh, we've always had some struggles. We've always had uh, people falling. And I think that's important to remember. And mm-hmm. I don't think we need to, just because the technology has changed, mm-hmm. the way we're tempted has changed. Some of the kind of ups and downs in certain areas have changed. Mm-hmm. We've always been fallen creatures and there's always been problems. Just yeah. different ones rise to the surface. Mm, yes. Um, I do think the technology is an issue right now. So we need to be very careful about how we approach it. Um, and so one of the things that was happening in this Matt Chandler thing was the course language. Right now, I think it's more accessible than ever to watch things on TV with different language than we might hear at church or YouTube or, or whatever. And there is a sense of privacy in DMs and private messaging that can be a challenge. And, and Rick, I just wanted to ask, what on earth is coarse language? What is this Ephesians 5-4 thing? Mm-hmm. Apparently, the context, supposedly via Preston Sprinkles uh, making some comments, was that it was about alcohol, uh, was the coarse jokes. And, you know, I check myself. I, I don't. I'm not condemning Matt so much, but whenever I hear a correction for another pastor, I think, can I learn from this? Am I doing something that needs to be corrected here? And, you know, I was thinking that time I had a hard day and my secretary asked me about it, you know, like, well, you've had a couple uh, interesting people in the office, you know, how are you feeling? And I, I just blurted out, I think I'd like to start drinking again or something like that. As a joke, how would that be received? Is that that kind of inappropriate language that Ephesians 5.14 is talking, or 5.4 is talking about. You know, I think in, in the broadest definition of the word, yes, um, b- between you and I, that probably, it would roll off like water off a duck's back. My wife is the adult child of an alcoholic, okay? You make a joke about that, about drinking or being drunk or drunkenness in front of my wife, and she's going to have flashbacks. And that's going to affect her entirely differently. You know, uh, within the, 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 the Pauline section, he talks about um, shouldn't be any obscenity, um, which is more than just the expletives from our congregations. You know, even going back to the, to, to the, to the second commandment, you know, of, of, of how, do we, how do we use the name of God? That's more lifestyle than it is vocabulary. Am I wearing the name of God appropriately? Am I wearing the tongue of Christ appropriately. I just want to connect that. The hillbillies have this right. Don't bring shame on your family. Don't embarrass yes. us. Yes. And then we would hear that in Kentucky. And that's exactly what that, you know, bearing the name falsely is about. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. We've reduced it and made it easy. Well, just don't use four letter words. Mm. Well, Hebrew didn't have vowels. So I don't know how many letters it would be in Hebrew. Okay. <laughs> but that's not the implication. The implication is how you are wearing the name of God and if I'm wearing the name of God, then for me, anything that would be that, that coarse jesting is, some, is making someone who is created in the image of God the butt of that joke and therefore denying the image of God in them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So there, there's, this idea of are you building up or tearing down? Yes. Knowledge puffs yeah. up and love builds yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's broader than just... You know, the words that are, that are used or I, I, I would raise the question, who is the, who is the butt of the joke? Who's the brunt of the joke? Why? 
And what is it in my life that needs to be elevated? And the easiest way to elevate something in my life is by putting something down in your life. Yeah. Then I don't have to do the hard work of getting any better. I just make you look like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it, it, it's, it's a broad category, Sam. Um, but it's, you know, am, am I putting down the image of God in somebody else's life? And I, am I making someone else the, the, the brunt of, of that ridicule, especially when they're not there to even defend themselves? Yeah, I think of, you know, we've got to bridle our tongues and, and we need God's help to do that because we are a people of unclean lips. I mean, very oh, much so. Uh, and it, I think you're right. It's made too easy when it's about four letter words. Yes. It's much more Agreed. complex than that. And I'm not going to do it perfectly, especially as somebody who likes to deflect stress with humor. Uh, I'm, I'm aware that that will get myself in trouble sometimes. <laughs> but I had yes. one final question that I wanted to talk about this Billy Graham rule. It's so under attack. Uh, we saw that when it happened with uh, former Vice President Mike Pence uh, as backwards and old. There's also a question of, and this is something that we kind of talked about in our Thursday small group this morning. Um, with all these measures in place, sometimes are you preventing an opportunity to minister to somebody? Uh, you know, like, is there too many measures to take? Uh, throw a camera in the room, you know, that kind of thing, or somebody messages you, do you say, I'm, I'm the pastor only to men and I'm going to forge you over to the ladies leader? You know, where is some of the line in this and how, how should we treat that Billy Graham role? And, then, and, another, and it starts another 40 minute podcast. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about we save that one for the next edition? <laughs> you know, we can always split this up into two, seriously. That's true. That's true. Because that's something Nancy and I have lived out. Um, but we've lived it out more recently because I am older than you guys. I, 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 my first youth ministry was in 1974. Okay. And I'm guessing that was long before either one of you was ever born. About a decade. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it was not unusual for me to be the cab driver after youth group. And I took the kids home in sequence of their houses, not by their gender. It was not unusual for the last youth group kid to be in my car with me alone, to be one of the gals in the youth group. We never thought, never even gave it a thought. Now, that was stupid in and of itself. But it, it really wasn't an issue. But it, is, it has grown into an issue where I would rather err, not because nah, I would rather err to honor my wife. Okay. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the principle that Nancy and I have tried to live out is, is embedded in Romans 12, 10. Okay. The, the first part of the verse just simply says, be devoted to one another in brotherly kindness. But the second half of the verse says, honor one another above yourself. It's one of the one another verses in scripture. The Greek word honor is the word teme. It means to, to, to cherish deeply, to value highly, to love, to love uh, greatly. I mean, it's a powerful word. And because I choose to honor my wife, I will not be alone with another person, with a, with a female. Nancy and I made a shift about 20 years ago where we do all of our premarital preparation together. Okay, so she and I are doing it together. 
we use either the prepare inventory or the uh, saving your marriage, the Simba saving your marriage before it starts. We've both been trained on it. So we do it together. Um, we just choose as an expression of how we honor each other to not be alone with a member of the other of the opposite sex. And if we're going to be in ministry, then we try to do it together as a couple, especially if it's a couple. Um, but if only, if, if I'm only meeting the wife, I'll still have Nancy there with me. Um, it just, the, the, okay, Sam, you started King James. <laughs> First Thessalonians 5.22, out of the King James, it was a, a, what, avoid even the appearance of evil. Okay. Yeah. Being alone with somebody can have an appearance. So we choose, we choose to avoid that, not because we're legalistic, but because we want to love on Jesus and honor each other. Yeah. And that's, I was very similar to perverse, uh, let not your good be evil spoken of also King James. So that the, the concern I have with overdoing that is not in regards to sex so much, but even in connection with alcohol, uh, I can recall being in a very fundamental like Southern Baptist church where you never touched a drop and Jesus only drank grape juice, which I think is, is insane to believe, but I still love you brothers and sisters. If you believe that I still love you, it's not a salvation issue, Amen. but I went to a funeral of a lost friend in a bar. It was an Irish wake. And this is something that was uncomfortable for me, but he was a lost mm -hmm. friend. I had shared the gospel. He did not accept but I loved him and I knew that I, I wanted to show my love for him. I went there, I showed up, didn't drink a drop. I was actually able to share the gospel with somebody right there. And I worry sometimes if we're overcautious, we might miss those opportunities. If we overemphasize not letting our deeds be spoken of. Adam Hammerlink, um, who's on staff at First Christian Decatur, talked about, you know, how to make these decisions. Are we doing it fear-based or wisdom-based? And so I, I really appreciated his, his words this morning. And I think that's a good call when we're doing this. Are we afraid of what people might think? Or are we trying to be as, as wise as possible? Because sometimes you have that situation. Most of the time, though, keep your window open. Invite your wife to do the marital counseling with you if you can, or another female. You know, some of us, my wife works, so that can't happen. But Sheila is in the office right, that, you know, right beyond that door and, and wall right there. Those are all common sense things that are easy to do. An extra yeah. ear, two or three witnesses, you know, right? We should know this stuff. Yeah. Scott, any, anything you've done that the Sam and I haven't picked up on? No, I don't think so. I think you guys covered it pretty well. I, I just, yeah, I, I, to continue what Sam was mentioning from Adam, I think it can feel like an extra exercise to discern how do we do this based on wisdom and discernment and not on fear. But I think I've seen ministries build their entire work on fear and it does very little good the way you have to stoke it and churn it and be ready for the next it could be from the outside it could be from within it could be all about 
<laughs> the fear of Satan is a driving force rather than the love of God. I mean, it seems like a small thing, but I, I think when you start working it out, wisdom of this is this beautiful and lovely way of a way of life that's being taught and it's unfolding through the old Testament and, and then wisdom incarnate the word comes and lives life in front of us. And I, I think it's no small thing to discern between those two categories to stop and say, I need to recenter myself in wisdom and not be driven by fear. Mm-hmm. Our world is just in a constant panic and you can pick the right or the left over which kind of panic we're buying into right now. And I think Jesus is inviting us out of that way of life and into something full of shalom, if we will accept it. Wow, it sounds like we almost came full circle. All those things are important and wise. We've got to have wisdom. And ultimately, even if they're all in place, yeah, your heart before Jesus is what really is going to prevent yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the DHF podcast. I'm Scott McNay, and you can find out more about DHF at discipleheritage.org.